Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you! <laughs> Hello, 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 hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 56, and tonight, the crapshoot returns with a vengeance, and it's a good thing that's a double-barrel shotgun, because it's going to be aiming at a pair of evil identical twins in the After Dark Horror Fest release... Seconds apart. And then, look at the calendar. It's that time of year again. It's time for the next installment of my Friday the 13th Spectacular. And this time, it's the final chapter. Well, not really, but you know that already. You're so smart. And you're so smart, I bet you know what's going to happen now. We're not starting the show this yet because we've got to listen to a promo. But you just sit tight because the party is about to get weird. All right, man, we really got to record a promo for this thing. Should we write a script for this? Ah, fuck it, man, we'll do it live. Hey, folks, this is El Goro. And this is the Cancer Man. And we are the hosts of Talk Without Rhythm. The only podcast that will not attract the worm. That really doesn't explain what we do. Well, we watch two movies a week, we review them, we bullshit, and sometimes we say something funny. Yeah, but most of the time we just piss people off. Well, the American film viewing public can't handle most of what we have to say. But if you think you can, you can find us on iTunes if you do a search for Talk Without Rhythm. You can also find us on our website, T-W-O-R Podcast. .blogspot.com, baby. Deuces. Hey, everybody. Great to have you back for another episode here with me for the next couple of hours, or almost a couple of hours, whatever it might turn out to be. Uh, so this is the chatter portion of the program where I catch you up what's going on in my life and uh, oh, hopefully leave some scandal in your wake. Um, what's been going on? Not a hell... You know, not a whole heck of a lot. It's been kind of quiet and kind of not quiet at the same time. I mean, the craziness is coming. Some of you might be thinking, hey, weren't you supposed to not have an episode this week? I'm supposed to be reading Kelly's story because you're supposed to be having surgery. And I said, yeah, except my surgery got moved till next week on the 17th, I think. They keep changing it around. Who knows when it's going to be, but right now it's on the 17th, so you have a show with me, yay, yay, or fuck you, depending on your opinion on that subject. Um, so I mentioned last time I'm working on this uh, one-act play, this short play, which is part of this theater festival that's uh, happening at the end of May, I believe, and we had our first table read last night, and it's really, really, really geeky. Really funny, really geeky. It's called The Red and Green Room. And I'm going to bore you a little bit because, you know, some of you might be familiar with Waiting for Godot or Waiting for Godot, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Or, you know, the works of, you know, No Exit, for instance, the play No Exit. You know, these dark plays of people trapped in this existential universe with no way out. And um, that's what this play is, except it's kind of like a dressing room for the Mario Brothers characters. It's all the people like Yoshi and Peach and Luigi who are always waiting in the wings, just waiting, 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 waiting for Mario to get done, for some stupid kid to get past some levels so they can come out and do something for five minutes, and they're basically going crazy. And it's funny. It's really, really funny. It's very cute. And uh, I'm playing Yoshi. I'm a dragon. (sighs) That was my fire breath. Shut up! Shut up. I'll have more information about that when I get it. 
Um, turns out, Chad, in Boston, I am going to Gala now. I got a scholarship, so I will be going to Gala, because now I can afford it. And for those of you who don't know, Gala is this big gay choral convention that's happening in Denver this year. It's kind of like the Olympics of choral, gay choral life, and you're probably like, wow, that's so lame. And I'm like, yeah, it really is, but you know what? It's fucking awesome to us, and we are lame. I am lame. I am lame. So I wanted to have a couple of quick shout-outs. Get done out of the way first. I wanted to say happy birthday to Zombart. Happy belated birthday. And also, happy weight loss. He's been working really hard and, you know, getting himself in shape. And he's been having a lot of results. And you're looking pretty fierce there, Mr. Zombart. Which is good because you're getting old now. And that will help keep you off the Boniva. I wanted to, The other thing that I wanted to say is that I had the fortune of meeting one of our listeners. This past weekend. Yeah, remember when Durwood and Betty, the Lund Fontaines of the Scream Queens Horror Podcast, called in last week? And they said they had this friend at work, and they think he might like horror movies. Well, anyway, he posted something about Carrie the Musical the same time I did my Carrie episode. And they were like, hey, you should listen to this podcast. Well, all of a sudden, he loves the show. He was coming to see the revival of Carrie off-Broadway here last weekend. So I said, hey, I'm supposed to get a program signed for my friend Seder in San Francisco. Hi, Seder. And why don't I just meet you? We'll go get cocktails. And we did. And it was awesome. So, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. I hope you're wearing your shirt. I want a picture. You have to upstage Derwood, Betty. You can't let them get the upper hand again. They think they own this joint. Gotta be taken down a peg. They are not the pink ladies. And this is not Greece. They will not be ruling this school. No siree, Bob. But I did want to say one thing that happened in, in, in our little rendezvous. I met him after the show. We're talking about the show. And I said, hey, well, he's got a couple of hours before he gets his train. Let's get some Cosmos. So we go to the Stonewall Inn. Now, for those of you who know your gay history, the Stonewall Inn is where, you know, gay liberation started. You know, this is where the riots happened. This is home base. And he was very excited. And um, so we're in there. We're drinking our Cosmos. And then, and I probably really shouldn't even tell you this because this is really embarrassing for him. And me, honestly. We'll both get into trouble. But you know what? I keep it real here. I'm sorry, Steven. I have to tell them what you did. What we did. What people saw. Because probably people have video of it anyway. But here's what. Here's the deal. We're sitting there. We're having our cosmos. And all of a sudden, I get this tap on my shoulder. And I turn around. And there's this guy standing there. And he's holding the biggest... We interrupt this podcast to bring you this late-breaking news flash! Scream Queens News Update! This just in, Hammond in the Woods is amazing! Your faithful reporter was able to attend a free screening of Cabin in the Woods on Monday night with Rich and the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup Group, and his balls were blown out of the theater by the sheer amazingness of this movie. Whatever doubts you may have, whatever inkling of suckiness that you may be lingering in the back of your mind, just chuck it out the window right now. In fact, it was so good that the movie will not be discussed on this podcast whatsoever. To keep all of its surprises, shocks, twists, and turns a secret. You think you know what they are because you saw the trailer? You think wrong. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, do not panic. Remain calm, but report immediately to your nearest multiplex theater and buy your ticket for the cabin in the woods. Let's not have another drag me to hell situation, shall we? Let's not embarrass ourselves in front of Joss. Reporter, this reporter enjoyed the movie so much, he's had the song from the Evil Dead musical stuck in his head, even though it has nothing to do with anything. So, I'm going to torture you with it. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming already in progress, baby. Oh, yeah. Even though he was wearing somebody else's pants, he still made it to the train on time. So well done, Steven. Well done. I can't believe I told that story. Oh my gosh, you must hate me. Oh well. Well, you know what? You've been such a good sport about this, and getting to meet you was so great that I just have one more thing to say to you. You, Steven, are not the Scream Queen of the Week. What are you kidding? You got a fucking t-shirt. What the hell else do you want? Christ almighty. I already posted bail for you, so what else do you want? No. No, 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 no. The Scream... (laughs) Instead, the people who are making the Scream Queens universe a little smaller and a little closer will be taking that title. So you, Betty, and you, Durwood, are the twin Scream Queens of the Week! Yay! 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 No tiara! No tiara! You can have one, but you know that already, because you've been listening for forever, but you got t-shirts. Everybody got t-shirts. I was like a t-shirt fountain this weekend because I'm so generous. I love my listeners that much. So, I put clothes on your back. You're not taking the jewels off my head. No, sir. Not this time. Not ever. Anyway, moving on. So, speaking of the theater, I did get to go twice to the theater. Actually, three times. And I'm going to go quickly through this because some of it is of interest. The first thing I saw was Don't Dress for Dinner at the Roundabout Playhouse. And uh, Don't Dress for Dinner is an old, um, I think it's from the 70s, uh, British sex farce. And, you know, it's all silly, mistaken identities and, and you know, everybody running around and every, everybody's thinking they're having the sex with somebody, but they're not. And everybody thinks somebody's having an affair with somebody else, but they're not. It's kind of like Three's Company, but a little bit dirtier. But why is this of interest to you? Well, I'll tell you why, goddammit. In the cast of Don't Dress for Dinner was none other than the bride of Chucky herself, Jennifer Tilly. And she was great. I don't know if she did stage, you know, and she might be embarrassing because I've seen a lot of movie people, particularly of like the, the, the character actory type. They come on stage and they embarrass themselves, but she was great. And her tits arrived through the front door of that house on in the set like three minutes before she did. So that was cool. But here's the thing. I saw it at a matinee. I got free tickets to it. And, you know, so it's all the silver hairs. It's all these senior citizens. And she walked on stage and I was the only one who applauded. Nobody knew who she was. I'm like, that's the fucking bride of Chucky. She was nominated for an Oscar, goddammit, for Bullets Over Broadway. She was a hot lesbian in Bound. How could you not know this amazing woman? And for a split second, I'm like, hey, oh, and I got bad. And then I'm like, fucking, yeah, yeah. And they all looked at me, and I'm like, fuck you. You don't know who she is. You're the stupid ones. Ignorant. Now, the other thing that I got to see was an import from jolly old England called One Man, Two Governors. 
And I had to say, this had to be one of the funniest goddamn things I have seen in a long, long, long time. Indescribably funny. Who cares what it's about? It doesn't even matter what it's about. It's like this two-hour carnival of blissful kookiness and wackiness and you know just 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 off the wall British comedy that just made me happy. Now, you know, Woody and all you guys over there are probably like, oh, that's all piece of shite. We've been sick of that. Oh, James Cordale, what's a twat? Blah, blah, blah. I know how you folks are, but it's new to us, goddammit. And it was weird because everybody in the theater was British. Like, not on stage. I mean, yes, they were all imports from the British cast, but everybody in the audience was British. And I'm like, what the fuck? It ran over there for how many years and now you're coming over here taking our goddamn tickets? Fuck you, go back where you came from. Take your fucking biscuits and your curries and, and, and your minges and just get the fuck out of here. Thank you. And as usual, the most interesting things about the evening were not happening on stage because this is weird. It was the first time, again, I got discount tickets for it and they put us in the box, one of the box seats. I've never sat in a box seat before. And it was just weird. I'm like, why do people sit up here? You can't see anything. And then I look around, I'm like, oh, this is why. So you can see everybody else. And I'm like, hi. So every time I pick my nose during the show, I was very self-conscious of it. And yes, that was an often, often reoccurring occurrence. Okay, shut up. But after the show was over, everybody who was in the, um, uh, the mezzanine had to filter through the box where we were sitting. And, you know, we were, we were hanging out, letting the traffic go by because it was a very narrow causeway. And I'm, you know, there's a there's an onstage band, and they're great, the Skiff, Skiffle Band, I believe they're called. And, you know, they're just, it's original music, and we're, I'm dancing, of course, because I'm a fool. And I'm just doing my little happy jig, and my little happy jig, and, and Bradford all of a sudden starts waving his little monkey paws around. And I'm like, I, I thought he was, you know, attempting to dance, because, you know, white and Caucasian. And after a bit, he goes, oh my God, why didn't you turn around? I said, what? Standing right behind you was that guy. You know, that actor guy. So I said, okay, who? Oh, you know, that guy. You know, that guy with the whitish hair. You know him. Okay. What was he in? Oh, you know who I'm talking about. He was in that thing that we saw. You know where he was that guy with the hand. The thing where he had the hand. So this is my favorite game with Bradford because he sees celebrities. Okay, this is he sees celebrities. Do you hear my fingers going quote quote quote? He sees celebrities all the time. Actually, he does spot real ones quite frequently. But the problem is he doesn't know who anybody is. So sometimes he's just flat out wrong or can't tell you who he just saw. And this was one of those occasions. I'm like, come on, just work with me here. Work with me here. Is he old? Is he young? Does he have white? What do you see? White? Is he black? Is he Spanish? Is he tall? Is he short? Does he have one leg? Does he have two legs? Is he anything? Does he have a hump? And eventually I got him down to John Lithgow. He decided that it was John Lithgow. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's kind of cool. And then I walk outside the theater and right across the street is playing a play called The Columnist, starring John Lithgow, which had a performance at the same time. So I'm like, Bradford, I'm thinking that wasn't John Lithgow. He's like, oh, it had to have been him. He must have come in after he was done. I'm like, yes, and he sat in the balcony. So I know who the celebrity was. But apparently they exchanged a moment because Brad recognized him, and the guy said, hi. And Brad said it was in that tone of voice saying, yes, I know you can see who I am. I see that you recognize me, but please be cool about it. Because it's Bradford's world inside his head. It's Bradford's world inside his head. Now, the other thing I wanted to tell you here, uh, I saw a third show. Um, and I came home from the third show because the third show made me really depressed. Not because it was a depressing show, 
but just it was a great show and it made me feel like an inferior dweeb. So I came home and I decided to record something for the podcast drunk. I know I recorded it. I have no idea what's on it. So uh, in the tradition of keeping it real like I do here on the Screen Queen Tower podcast, let's take a listen to what I had to say in the dark night of Easter Sunday So it's Easter Sunday. Oops, my pop screen is cockeyed. Yeah, it's the evening. I just got in from the theater. I went to see this new show called Peter and the Starcatcher, which is basically a, a retelling of uh, Peter Pan. And it was amazing. Indescribably amazing. So funny. So creative. So nothing that I was expecting. And so fucking good, it made me hate myself. You know, I don't want to talk about bad things on here normally, but I also do like to keep it real. But this just made me sad. It was so good, and I was surrounded by all these people on the creative team. And listening to them talk just made me realize what a joke my career has become. You know, I was going somewhere someday, once upon a time, and then I got sick. And it's been a big derail since, and I've been trying to get back on the train, and now I'm having one of those evenings where I feel like, why am I even bothering? I am almost 42 years old. I think the train has left the station. Well, then I tell myself, maybe it's time to make another train. That one's gone. There's plenty of others still to go. Ones I haven't thought of, going to places I haven't dreamed up yet. And you know what? I think I'm riding on one right now. I'm riding on it with you. And that sounds really dirty. Since it's Easter Sunday, I want to tell you something. Just a story. Years ago, you know, back when I had a career, excuse me, I was working at Allenberry Playhouse in Pennsylvania. And um, I was doing their spring show, which was, what the hell was it? Oh, uh, uh, No Sex Please Were British, which was a British sex farce, clearly. And... I was up there for the Easter break. Now, everybody was like, oh, yeah, most people are like, yeah, we're going home, we're going home. I'm like, I'm going to stay. It'll be fun. It wasn't fun. This is Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania, which is the middle of fucking nowhere. And the town pretty much rolls up at 6 o'clock anyway. But on Easter Sunday, poof, this place was off the map. There was nothing going on that whole weekend, I should say. So by Friday night, I'm so bored. I'm so bored. Bored. Even the movie theaters were closed. There's nothing to do except for one thing. The local church was putting on their passion play. And I was so bored that I went. And I have to tell you, I am so glad that I did because that passion play changed my life. And not for the reason that they were intending. Okay, picture it. I'm sitting there in the gymnatorium. It's packed. It's 700 degrees. And... This show's bad. You know, of course it's bad. You know, it's just... But it's earnest. You know, it is what it is. It's a passion play. Put on by the local church. So with local local church folks. Thousands of them. Cast of thousands in this thing. And it's clumsy, but you know, it was something to do. But even then, I'm sitting there going, Oh my God. God, this is how I've sunk. This is the worst thing. And I'm not going to say anything. Because I'm come off bitchy. And I am being bitchy because these people are doing something out of love and devotion. And here I am like... The one thing I was being amused by was that most 
of the church folk had been hired or, you know, cast as, I don't know, the town, for want of a better word. Like, whenever there was a crowd, it was everybody. But the thing that was, which is not surprising, but the thing that was weird, they moved en masse. It was like a big clump of, like, 40 people that just moved like clump, 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 clump. Very strange. Like, like stayed in the circular formation. Like, whoop, boom, 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 boom. And they, the entire town took three steps left. Whoop, boom, 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 boom. Whoop, boom, 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 boom. Whoop, boom, 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 boom. See, I'm, I'm having wine while I'm telling you this because I've had a shitty day. Did I tell you I just got locked out of my apartment? Anyway, I'll come back to that because I'm at the Passion Play, which is a much better story. And this was the bright light. The, the town moving in a clump was the thing that was getting me through the show until the crucifixion scene. When sheer... Well, something happened that just... My mind was blown. I have never seen anything like this before. I've never seen anything like it since. I don't even even know who came up with this or how they came up with this. But it was amazing. It was an Easter miracle. And I'm not making fun of anything religious here. I'm going to say that up front. I know a lot of you are very devout. And I'm not making fun of anything to do with the faith or the Lord God Jesus Christ or anything like that. But what I saw was astounding no matter how you slice it okay picture it it's the crucifixion jesus is on the cross dying in the hot sun vinegar pouring from his lips the gaping wound open in his side the apostles in the town crying at the base of the cross and somewhere between jesus uttering the words my god my god why have you forsaken me and Into your hands I commend my spirit. Something happened. This is where the miracle happened. As Christ was dying, everything on stage froze. The lights went red, blood red. There's not a sound on the stage. Nobody's moving. Nobody's breathing. Then all of a sudden you hear music and figures start to arrive on stage. And they dance about the the base of the crucifix. You're like, who are they? Are they angels? Are they demons? What are they? No, they're neither. They're about 10 to 15 little girls in tutus, little white tutus, who come out and dance on point to the dance of the sugar plum fairies from the Nutcracker Suite. It was fucking surreal. Like, was this a part of the story that I never heard before? Is this a chapter of the Bible that was omitted from my particular edition of the New Testament? Because I don't recall Jesus being visited by the baker's dozen ballerina girls from fucking Kathy's Candy Apples Dance Studio to dance them into heaven. Here's the thing. I thought I had lost my mind. Like I felt my mind crack. And I wanted to laugh so hard. But I knew if I started laughing, I was never, ever going to stop. Ever. So I'm sitting there like choking on my own laughter. Like, 
something exotic like that. And the woman next to me hands me a Kleenex and she said, I know, it's so moving, isn't it? Which made me go, blah, blah. So the girls danced the entire sugar dance of the, the entire dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, the whole fucking thing. And then they do, 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 off the stage, the lights go back to normal. Crucifixion continues as progress, you know, as originally programmed. What the fuck was that? I don't know. I still don't know, but it was my little Easter miracle, and I hope it made your day. Okay, there ends the mysterious drunken Easter footage. That actually wasn't as embarrassing as I thought it would be. Yeah, I was a little maudlin at the beginning, but that's okay. You know, I share my good stuff with you. I share my bad stuff with you. You're my family. Deal with it. Really, wasn't it all worth it? God, that fucking passion play. I still look back at it going, Did so, I, I still feel like I was tripping balls in that little church. It was so surreal. It And then it just continued like nothing was happening. Like nothing on had happened. Well, I'm glad I brought that back to myself because now I'm just stuck in that whole mental image. Whew. You know, and if I'm that stuck, I think it is time to get this show a rolling because we got a lot of stuff to get to, don't we, kids? Yes, Dad, that's right. Yes, that is very true. And it was really weird because I made my hand talk. I brought it up to the microphone and did that thing with the hair with the side eye, side eye thing. I just did it again. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's this kind of journalism that's going to secure me that podcast award this year. Jesus Christ, let's start the show now. So I like to know. From a rolling sea There's always been a quiet place To harbor you and me Asses, it's time for the crap shoot! <laughs> Paul! 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 Oh. Ew, 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 ew. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Now, for the uninitiated, the crap shoot is the segment of the show where I dive headfirst into the vast sea of direct-to-DVD horror movie releases in search of that diamond in the shit pile. Will I find it this week? Will I finally be entertained? Will I be able to give you a recommendation? Well, keep your tits on, goddammit. I'll get there. Yeesh. So for the crapshoot this week, we're going to be talking about a movie called 
seconds apart. And this is part of the After Dark Horror Fest original series. You know, it's not the theatrical releases, but they all went straight to DVD. Now, the After Dark Horror Fest films, they have a certain reputation that precedes them. Is it a good one? Is it a bad one? We'll talk about that later. And how does Seconds Apart fit into the whole mix? Well, we're going to have to talk about that later, too. God damn it, we have to listen to the trailer first. It's procedure, bitches. God. <laughs> Popular kids from what we're getting upstairs. Somebody heard the gunshots? Yeah, the music cranked up pretty good. First kid commits suicide, that bring the game to a screeching halt, don't you think? Detective Lampkin. Hope that you can help us understand why they would kill themselves. If in fact they did kill themselves. Now neighbor lady says she saw twin boys about your age with the video camera. Somebody told him something. So let's find out who. Morning, Katie. had an open door policy. I'm just trying to make sense of this tragedy. Maybe you should see one of the grief counselors. Maybe you should. I'm not experiencing any grief. I've got 15 witnesses. Says those boys never laid a finger on her. They can get inside of people's heads. I've seen them. You think we have these weird powers? I've been working on this little project. What kind of project? It's a movie. You want to be in it? So before I get into talking about Seconds Apart, I just wanted to talk about the After Dark Horror Fest in general. Now, years ago, when I first heard this was happening, I was very excited. You know, if, if you don't know, this was the Eight Films to Die For series. And um, there was going to be playing in certain cities around the world and uh, just be eight movies over, I think, three days. You know, world premiere movies. And it was, it was, it was cool. And the first year, it was a lot of buzz and it was, it was very exciting. But there were mixed results. But the thing that was great about it, of the eight films, I thought four of them were excellent. Not just good, but excellent. The Grave Dancers, uh, the Japanese film Reincarnation, uh, The Abandoned, and The Hamiltons. I thought were brilliant, brilliant movies, each in their own respect. And the other four, I think two were okay, one was not so great, and one was flat out So out of eight films, it wasn't bad. So I was very excited when it came back the second year. Now the second year, it was more organized. Now you could buy a pass for the whole weekend, and you got a t-shirt, and you got a party afterwards, and you got a thing. Now when I say a thing, <laughs> the mail comes with the, well, see, I had ordered my pass online. The mail comes, and it's this big package, and I get my little, you know, laminated pass to wear around my neck, but I also get this block of shit. <laughs> I think it was supposed to be a plaque. But it was it was it said the after jar car fest on it, eight films to die for it. And it had a picture of the logo, which as 
actually it was a relief. It was like a sculptural relief of the logo, which is a nude woman from the back, and she's looking over her shoulder, and there's some monster emerging out of her back. It was the ugliest fucking thing. Now that I think of it, it wasn't a plaque because it had no hook in the back. So it was some sort of weird centerpiece. And it was the color of shit. And so what did I do? I gave it to the NOTLP crew when I saw them in Harham Weekend one year. I said, here you go, guys. You can have this. They said, what are we supposed to do with this? And I said, I don't know. Pass it on. That's love, baby. That year, the movies, almost all of them were wretched. Wretched, wretched, wretched. The only things that sort of rose above the surface was Mulberry Street and in you know, about rats, and that was fun because it was filmed locally, and I'm like, yeah, I know my, I know that corner, and that's actually where I used to do my murder mystery, and Nightmare Man with, Tiffin, with Tiffany Sheepus, which I loved for an entirely different reason. There was a point in the film where Tiffany Sheepus had been stripped down to her underwear and was hunting the monster with a crossbow. Camouflage underwear, by the way, and I said, yep, that girl knows her market. So I was enjoying it for reasons perhaps that did not intend. Now, the third year... Harfest, I didn't even know what was happening until it was half over. There was very little publicity. It was only playing in one theater in the entire city rather than several, as it had done in previous years. And I went with the New York Horror Movie Meetup group to see, uh, I think, you know, I don't even remember what it was, but it was basically a British version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and it was not very good. That entire year was shit. Autopsy, shit. From within, shit. Perkins 14, oh my god. God, physically painful shit. The only thing that was somewhat bearable was the New Zealand, I think it was New Zealand film, um, Dying Breed. That had its moments. But I didn't go see all eight of those movies at the time. I waited for DVD. On the fourth year of Horror Fest, they were straight to DVD. And actually, again, they did a good job. Great movies. Dread, Lake Mungo, uh, The Final, Zombies of Mass Destruction. Fun, 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 fun films. And then there was this year. And I guess it's... I don't know. This year, it was all sci-fi films. Sci-fi channel films. Terrible. I can't even remember what they were. It was Husk, which was stupid. Oh, yeah. Prowl, which I, I talked about briefly on the show, which was okay at best. Scream of the Banshee, which was terrible. I saw that on... I had already seen that on the sci-fi channel. And The Task, which was wretched. A movie so bad, I was angry. And I should have covered it on the show, because I, but it made me so angry, I couldn't even talk about it. So I just gave up on the last two. I didn't want to see, or the last three, is it three? No, it's just two. Uh, 51, about Area 51, and Seconds Apart. I said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. However, I didn't tell my Netflix queue that. So Seconds Apart showed up in my mail one day, and I'm like, oh, well, it's here. I might as well watch it. And let me tell you, kids, I am glad I did, because Seconds Apart is a huge recommend, despite its kind of weird rom-com sort of title. The title characters in Seconds Apart are identical twin brothers, and they were born, let me hear it, Seconds Apart. And, well, this is a creepy twin movie, and I am not going to spoil it, so it's going to be very hard to talk about, and that's why I spent so much time talking about the festival in general, because I can't go very deep into this film. But I do want to tell you this much. My doubts, whatever doubts I had about watching the movie, were out the window within the first two minutes. Because the opening scene of this film is amazing. And again, I can't really tell you about it. I'll tell you about as much as I can. But what happens is, you see, it's a point of view shot of somebody arriving at a party and everyone's like, Ew, what are you doing here? Ew, you're not supposed to be here. Gross. And 
Then all of a sudden it cuts to the upstairs of the party and a bunch of these big macho jock guys are playing poker and having a great time. Talking about the game tomorrow. Talking about getting some poontang. And then all of a sudden, they're not doing that anymore. And you had my attention. Because I sat there watching what was going on going, What the fuck is going on? And my mind was blown. This is my mind. This is my mind. (laughs) Do you hear that? That was my mind being blown. That was not a fart. That was my mind being blown. Get your mind out of the gutter. God damn it. And I can't tell you what happened. I mean, I can, but I'm choosing not to because this was an incredible, an incredible opening. And you know how there's nothing I like better than an incredible opening. Yeah, I went there. Anyway, let's talk about these very bad boys, shall we? We shall. They are twins. They have that psychic twin link that you hear so much about. But theirs is about 10 steps further than that because not only are they connected to each other, when they're together, they can connect to you. They can get in your mind. They can make you see things. They can make you do things. They can make you forget things. So for teenagers going through puberty, that's a really dangerous thing to have because they also seem to be born without any form of a conscience. Very, very, very sociopathic pair. What I liked about this... The whole movie had a feel, like all of the characters, not just them, had this, it was a story of various lost souls trapped in this awful world ruled by these two boys. And it reminded me of that Twilight Zone episode, that classic Twilight Twilight Zone episode with Billy Moomy, you know, where he was sending people off to the cornfield. Except they didn't send you off to the cornfield here. No, 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 no. You would have begged to go to the cornfield. And this whole lost soul feeling gives the movie a very eerie tone throughout just every scene feels kind of surreal kind of dreamlike but not a pleasant dream there's a scene too one of my favorite scenes where they're playing the piano for their parents and they're just sitting there playing moonlight sonata now some of you might be wondering big deal what's so scary about that well i'll tell you what's so scary about that it's just something about moonlight sonata because whenever i hear moonlight sonata it makes me do this know something Schroeder I think the way you play the piano is nice do you know something else it's always been my dream that I'd marry a man who plays the piano Parties, he'd play something nice like April showers. I'm sure you could play something nice like April showers. Or even Frerajakam. Beethoven's nice too. Just imagine, what would you think if someday you and I should get married? Wouldn't you like that if someday we two should get married? My Aunt Marion was right. Never discuss marriage with a musician. 
Oh my god, I can hear the panicking out there already. What the fuck just happened? What the hell was that? Did the twins get in his head? Yes, the twins got in my head. Shut up, show queens. Don't tell them. Down, show queens. Down. Let us all never speak of this again and continue on. Sally forward as if nothing unusual had happened at all. So, we were talking about twins, weren't we? Yes, we were. They're high school students at this Catholic school and, well, they're just creepy. They're just creepy. They're creepy, 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 creepy. They're hot, but they're creepy, which adds to the creepiness because there's also a weird gay thing going on, too. Not really. It's just that kind of intimate closeness that come, that would come with being such close twins. The fact that they get broken up by a girl. Ah, yes, everything's fine until Eve comes along and likes one, but not the other. And eventually, the brothers are pitted against each other in a battle of the creepy psychic powers. This might not sound that exciting, but this is a beautifully crafted film with a very intelligent script, and it's very, very emotional. The cop that's kind of onto their game is played by Orlando Jones. I am not familiar with him. Based on what I read people saying about him on Netflix, they were all like, well, I can't believe Orlando Jones gave such a great performance. I guess he's not very good or is not known for quality films. But he's got a dark past, and he's got some painful secrets, and he's just so vulnerable, just so emotionally exposed. This whole film, which of course makes him prime target for these two fucking assholes. Now you might notice that the girlfriend's name was Eve. Their names are Seth and Jonah. So there's a whole biblical thing going on here, too. The movie's working on a lot of levels, and I like... I don't want to say, like, I was on the edge of my seat. That's not exactly true. I felt I hated these two so much, yet I felt trapped by the film. And this is all a good thing. I felt like I was under their spell, like I didn't want to see things. I'd like, just please, please somebody figure out a way to stop these two because I, I hate them. I hate them, but I am powerless to do anything. Could you have turned off the movie? Yes, you could have. But did I? No, I didn't because it was good, goddammit. It scared me. It creeped me out and it left me with the oogie boogies when it was over. So, since I can't say much else about it, Except go see it. I'm going to say go see it. Rent it. Now. Seconds apart. And now for some really scary twins. Meet Kathy who lived most everywhere. From Zanzibar to Barclay Square. But Patty's only seen the sights a girl can see from Brooklyn Heights. What a crazy pair. So, Screamers, we have a bit of an unusual situation on our hands here. We didn't get any voicemail. Not a single one. So, I guess we're going to wrap this puppy up a little early this week. But, and, wait, wait, what's that? Did you guys hear that? Oh, for goodness sake, what was I thinking? Look at the calendar. This Friday, it's Friday the 13th. Yay! And you know what that means? It's time for another installment of my Friday the 13th Spectacular! <laughs> 
whoa, 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 wait a goddamn minute. A lot of you are probably thinking, you new folks out there, why are we yodeling for Friday the 13th? What does that have to do with anything? And my loyal listeners will be able to tell you absolutely fucking nothing because I am one old queen. And I got to see all these old, you know, classic horror movies in the movie theaters first run. So I have all these stories that revolve around the Friday the 13th films that have nothing to do with the movie themselves. Not exactly anyway. So we're yodeling. Deal with it. Meh. Now, I got to admit, this Friday the 13th just snuck on me. I mean, didn't we just have one, like, two months ago? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. And, you know, it makes me happy. Because, first of all, I think it's appropriate that Friday the 13th should sneak up on you. Just like old Jason or his mom or or that ambulance driver guy. But he's for next time, not the point right now. My tradition is every time a Friday the 13th comes up on the calendar, I take a look at the next consecutive film in the series. And for a while there, there were scants. They were scant. They were coming slow and, well, slow. And I thought, God damn it, how many films are there in this se- in the series? We're all going to be like 89 years old and I'll still be like creeping up on, you know, Jason X and shit. But, and God forbid if they start making any more. Well, you know, not God forbid. Well, shut up. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying. Things are moving right along at a nice, healthy pace. So, uh, let's keep with tradition and take a listen to this trailer for Friday the 13th. The final chapter! Three times before, you have felt the terror, known the madness, lived the horror. But this is the one you've been screaming for. Friday, the 13th, the final chapter. Jason is back. He moves like a shadow. Dark and silent. Sorry to change your mind. He never utters a word. He doesn't even seem to breathe. Simply, mindlessly, mercilessly, kills. But now, Jason's reign of terror is over. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Friday, April 13th, is Jason's unlucky day. Well, I don't know if it was an unlucky day or not, because it was big box office for him, although it pretty much was the final chapter for the series being actually scary. Because to be perfectly honest, after Jason died for real, didn't really care for much anymore. There's something boring about a killer that's unstoppable for me. Because you know he's always going to get back up. It's probably not even going to slow him down. And it just gets very boring and monotonous. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is talk for the later series. And I know I just shocked the shit out of you kids who came in around part six and think you know everything about the goddamn franchise. Because you don't. 
because I'm going to address all you people who were bellyaching when the remake came out. And you're like, no, 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 he runs in the movie. Jason's running. Jason doesn't run. He's never run. This movie is a classic example of him running. He does some fast footing through the final chapter, and if you say, and actually in all of his movies before he died, just the boring, lumbering piece of crap that you're used to, shut up, is what I'm saying. Anyway, we're not here to bitch at you, yet. We're here to talk about a certain day in April, 1984. It was a Saturday, a Saturday the 14th, but without Richard Benjamin and the stupid slimy monsters and Paul Prentice, who might be a stupid slimy monster, I don't know, I don't know her personally, but anyway, I'm off topic already. As usual, I gathered some neighborhood kids to go see this movie with me, other bloodlust fools and their younger siblings who had to tag along, who would also be damaged for life. What was different was between part three and part four, my family moved. We moved two towns over. So now I had a whole other crop of kids to indoctrinate to this, this whole phenomenon. Yeah, that's right. I was like a virus. I was that kid. I was the bad influence. Was, you say? Shut up, I say. Because you're, you're absolutely right. But because the fact that my family moved, we no longer lived near the proper movie theater. And by that, I mean the movie theater that we could all sneak into because somebody's brother was an usher there. No, 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 no. Now I had a new challenge because not only was the only theater playing Friday the 13th untested waters, but it was good 10 miles away. But how does the 13-year-old without motor transportation get there? Well, he rides his bike. That's how. So I made the plans. I passed the word around school. I'm like, we're going to go to the Levittown Theater. We're going to sneak into Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and we're all going to see it. They're like, why? What is it? I've never seen this movie. I'm like, shut up. You're going. Stop crying. Save your crying for when you're in the movie theater, because you will cry. I had it all worked out. We were going to ride our bicycles down Hempstead Turnpike to the Levittown Movie Theater, to the 5.30 screening of Friday the 13th, the final chapter. I couldn't wait. And apparently everybody knew I couldn't wait because at 11 o'clock on Saturday, April 14th, my father said, Uh, Pat, uh, why don't you get in the car? I'll take you to that, uh, Friday movie. This was un- unheard of. My dad never takes me to the movies. Ever. But this came out of the blue. I don't know what kind of fight he was having with my mother. Considering all the family trauma, all the neighborhood scorn and shame that came along when my mother innocently took the kids of the block to see the first one, not knowing what she was in for. Us not knowing what we were in for. All the Tupperware parties she didn't get invited to. All the bake sales they didn't tell her about. All the church functions that she conveniently got left off the list because she brought a squalling bunch of nine-year-olds to see a movie that was way too intense for them and warped them for life. But here's my dad saying, let's go. And I'm thinking, I'm already going, but I'm going later. And everybody's already coming. So, not knowing what to do, I said, okay. So I went with my dad, who I'm not sure has ever seen one of these movies at this point. And of course, this has to be the one with the most nudity in it. So of course, I'm hitting puberty with my dad, with all these naked people, so I spent a lot of the movie looking at my shoes. Not because it was sexually attractive to me, but just because it was really uncomfortable. It was horror of an entirely different kind. So I saw the movie. It was great, but the whole time I'm thinking, oh my God, I have people coming to the house. I've got to get home, and in five minutes, people are going to start arriving. Now, you don't understand, because not only the kids that I bullied from this new town to go see this movie, 
I had kids coming from my old town. They were riding their bicycles from Floral Park to Garden City, two towns, maybe about five miles. So not only were they planning on riding bicycles from Floral Park to Garden City, but they were there going to ride their bicycles from Garden City to Levittown. For those of you who are from Long Island, it's really fucking far. It's 10 miles, which may not sound much, you know, on paper, but when you're 13 and under, it's really far, considering you have to ride down Hempstead Turnpike, which is a turnpike. It is heavy traffic. It's not just like, hey, free pedaling. Now no, no, it's like diving for your life. It's not designed for bicycles. You know what it's designed for? Cruising. And I don't mean sex cruising. I mean like American graffiti, Italian retards, <laughs> arriving IROCs, you know, driving back and forth going, hey, baby, looking for a ride. And they're all like, yeah, showing their titties. That's what goes on in Hempstead Turnpike, not children on bicycles. This was a treacherous journey. It was 85 degrees and humid that day. So some of these children would be biking 30 plus miles on this incredibly hot day to go see this movie. And I'm the host. And even at 13, the burgeoning gay inside of me knew that being the host has responsibilities. This could ruin me for life if this does not get pulled off. But it did get pulled off. That didn't come out right. Nobody got pulled off. The event got pulled off. You're pigs. But yes, the car pulled back into the driveway at about, I don't know, 325. People started arriving within 15 minutes. And everyone says, my, of course, dad's like, uh, hey, Pat, where are your kids going? You need a lift? I'm like, no! Refine. Why I couldn't just ask for a lift, I don't know. Because I guess it'd be like, uh, didn't we just see that movie? Uh, why are you wasting my money? Because my dad talks like that. Everything starts with, uh... Uh, Pat, uh, you, uh... So he's like that all the time. And he would have been like that. And I would have been like, because uh, I'm 13 and I don't have my rapier wet yet. And I would, everybody would have gotten grounded or we would have wound up going to see something stupid. Like, like fucking Supergirl or some crap because that was playing at the time. And that would have ruined me socially forever. So it would not do. But anyway, we got there. We were hot. We were miserable. We were sweaty. We were dehydrated. We were seeing things. I had to pretend like I hadn't seen anything. And, you know, I don't think until this day that I have ever admitted this out loud, but I saw that movie twice that day, kids. I fooled you all. Acting! Thank you. Thank you very much. I don't, any, I don't remember any particularly funny stories about the day because at, at any point I was either going to have a nervous breakdown or, you know, die of exposure to the elements. But, you know, it didn't need any, it didn't need any funny stories because this movie was particularly good. This was a particularly great entry of the series. No, not just because Tom Savini came back and the gore effects were great, but this movie just was fun. It had a great cast. It had a decent script. What I liked about this one, Jason. Jason in this, he was meaner in this than he had been in the other movies. Maybe it's me. He seemed meaner and more athletic. You know, right off the top, that kill with the, with the hacksaw is just mean. And then that nurse... That little nurse, he didn't have to kill her. I was just plotting this out because, okay, I think they were coming in from the hallway to get into the morgue, and she was in another room down the hall. So we actually went all the way. Mr. I Have to Escape has to go. He goes down the hallway, goes down in the room just to kill her just to be a dick. And I appreciate that about Jason. And let's not forget poor Paul. Poor Paul in his little shorty shorts getting a freaking spear gun in the pee-pee and then having it shot through his body. That's not cool because Paul was cute. I could have used more Paul. Paul had a nice hairy chest, and he showed his butt. But Paul didn't get a lot of screen time. So for such a mean death, for something unjustified, for you know, someone who wasn't an, an asshole, which is mean. That scene where he's throwing one of the twins you know, out the window, and he's there just like this, that slow shot of him, just like in silhouette, chucking her. I'm like, look at him. Look at how athletic he is. He looks like he could be in the Olympics doing gymnastical. 
Because really, that's what I was thinking at the time. No, not really. I was too busy shitting my pants. Because this is one of the last ones where I covered my eyes quite a bit. Had that impulse to cover my eyes. That childish impulse. Let's just talk about the cast for a little bit. Because I love this cast. I, like I said, I would have liked to have seen more Paul and more of Paul, if you know what I mean. But we had Peter Barton in it. Now, I mentioned in, in, in Friday the 13th Part 2, I used to love The Powers of Matthew Starr back in the 70s, which was a terrible, terrible, terrible TV show about some kid who was really an alien from another planet and he had superpowers or some bullshit thing like that. But it starred Peter Barton as Matthew Starr, the kid from another planet with superpowers, and Lou Gossett Jr. from An Officer and a Gentleman, who knew he had an Oscar waiting, there, but, and Amy Steele, the survivor girl from Friday the 13th Part 2, and I'm like, oh my god, that's so cool, we have two people from, from Matthew Star in the Friday the 13th series, maybe they'll get married if he survives, I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but anyway, again, not enough screen time, but the fact that Matthew Star was in a movie, I was excited, Judy Aronson, even though I'm a big homosexual, she's one of the hottest girls to come through this series. And even though she took all of her clothes off, every single stitch of clothes off, she didn't never seem sleazy to me. Maybe it's me. Plus, she had a cool career. And she looks fantastic now. She was in weird science, man. She was in weird science. That is awesome. And if you watch the documentary, yes, this movie almost killed her. She almost died of hypothermia in that raft because apparently the lake was really cold. She looks fantastic. And of course, we got Crispin Glover. Where do you even start with him? Where do you even start? Start with him. He's just he's just so crispin. And finally, Corey Feldman. I watched this movie the other night because I haven't seen it in a long time and I wanted to touch base with it again. I'm like, look at Corey. He's so cute. He's so adorable. He's so normal. There's not a hint of this super freako loser douchebag that he would grow up into. And it made me sad. And it may remember it may remember I never told my Corey Feldman story here on this podcast. Yeah, uh, two, I guess it's three Harhound weekends ago now. Whenever Corey Feldman was there, I had a run-in with him that I promised I would not talk about. But I'm going to talk about it. I'll just leave the names out because (laughs) it involves good friends of the show and when they were not at their best and it would be mean to expose their names and I won't do that. So you can relax, person without a name and person without a name's girlfriend. Anyway, I'm standing there with, with someone. I think it was, I think it was um, producer Amanda from Drunken Zombie. We're standing there in the lobby. We're chatting. And all of a sudden, she's like, oh, you have to meet this girl. She's one of your biggest fans. You know, the girl was passing by, little girl. Not little girl, but you know, small girl. Like, la, la, la. And Amanda grabs her, and she's like, come here. Come here. You got to meet this guy. You have to meet Patrick. And this girl's like, who the fuck is Patrick? I don't want to meet him. I have things to do. I got to go do this, that. And she's really drunk. This girl is beyond drunk, beyond the valley of the drunk. I don't even got to do Who the hell are you? And she's like, he's the host of the Scream Queens Horror Podcast. Then all of a sudden, I was her best friend. She's like, oh my God, you're the coolest person ever. I can't believe I'm meeting you. And she grabs me by the, by the wrist. And next thing I'm being dragged to the hotel. And she's like, I have to go back and see Corey Feldman. You got to take a picture of me with Corey Feldman. And I know you probably can't understand me. I couldn't understand her either. But basically what had happened, she was in the last group of people to meet Corey Feldman. And she paid to take a picture with him but forgot her camera. So she was running through the hotel to get her camera and then had to run all the way back to the hotel, which is no small journey. And I guess she just decided that I had to take the picture. And of course, she had stopped at several points along the way and had several drinks. So they've been waiting. Corey Feldman and his, you know, entourage have been waiting for quite some time. And when we got there, the hall is empty. 
Everything is closed up, but they're still there, and they're not happy. And we arrive, and Amanda and I are just like, what are we supposed to do? And they think we're supposed to take a picture. And the girl's going up to Corey Feldman. She's hanging all over. And there's lots of whispering going on and frantic pointing, and it's going on for a very long time. And basically, he's just they're just saying, do you know how long that we've been waiting here? We've been waiting here for like 45 minutes. Everybody's gone. This is not cool. This is really not cool of you. And she's like, I'm doing a drunk girl thing. I'm totally drunk. And Amanda and I'm like, should we just, you know, kind of tippy, tippy paws out the side? And I'm like, I really want to tippy, tippy paws out the side. But I also want to make sure that this girl gets somewhere that, you know, she doesn't get gang raped by the entourage or murdered by the entourage, which was probably more likely. And so, and then all of a sudden, the most amazing thing happened. Because the girl was squawking about how it was totally, because she's like, I just got to take this picture. Please, let me take the picture. And they're just like, we're leaving, bitch. But Corey Feldman, now, after Corey Feldman looked like a complete retard. Total retard. He's wearing this Sergeant Pepper-style military, faux military jacket with, like, epaulets, you know, the gold epaulets with the fringe and shit running down his arms. And he's got a reverse rat tail on top of his head. So he's got this little teeny tiny ponytail that's braided pony, little braid, little, little, little white trash braid hanging in front of one eye. And he squatted down to her level because she was, like I said, very, very small. And he looked her in the eye. And when he looked her in the eye, he took that stupid rat tail braid and he flipped it all the way back past his head. All the way back on his head so that he could look her in the eye with nothing in the way. And he just says... You have been incredibly rude. My friends and I have been waiting here for almost an hour. We waited for you to get your camera because you paid for a picture and we want to be true to our fans. But then you come back here and you're screaming at everybody and yelling and making a fool not out of yourself, but out of me and my friends. And Amanda and I are standing on the side like, ah! And then Corey Feldman just... And so I take this poor little girl and I start taking her out of the room and Corey Feldman looks me in the eye with one of those looks like, I can't believe... And I just said, I'm, I'm just melting. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I have no idea who this girl is. I just met her. And he flipped the rat tail back down and walked away. And so then Amanda and I were like, this is great. And eventually we had to find her, her wonderful boyfriend and drop her off safely there. And thus ending the Corey Feldman story. In which no names were revealed. You're welcome. And you're welcome. Anyway, back to the movie. My God. Can we just talk about the clothes in this movie for a minute? Because, you know, gay and everything. Now, I was listening to um, the Hysteria Continues podcast. Uh, Justin from the UK had called in last show. Uh, and said hello, so I had to go check out the show, and they had just had a whole three-hour Friday the 13th show, which was really great, a really interesting interview with Adrian King, which I, I was flabbergasted over, but um, he had mentioned in that movie, the original movie, that they had made a point of not making the fashions from any particular time. It was just jeans, it was just t-shirts, it was just flannel, it was shit anybody would wear camping at any time, and for the most part, through these first series of films, they stayed that way. Now, there wasn't anything that I can recall that leapt out and said 80s, 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 80s until this one. Because 
Man! And we jumped the shark and got Sarah's little mini... Sarah, my God. Sarah had the little mini skirt, but then at the party, I don't know if y'all noticed this, but go back and check this out. She's wearing this pink top, this long sleeve top with a mini skirt, but she's got this weird, like, high turtleneck, weird... I don't even know how to describe this color, but it was fucked up and ugly, and the twin girls were supposed to be so sexy. What the fuck were they wearing? If you're supposed to be sexy, why do you give them librarian buns? That's not 80s. That's just gross. That is just gross. At least that one girl who got thrown out the window had the sensibility to have sex first and take the bun out, but the other one actually has to be caught dead in that bun. And fucking Kimberly Beck. Kimberly Beck, your survivor girl. I'm going to have some issues with her later on, so just settle down. Just settle down because, well, she just got those fucking elf boots. I hate those elf boots. They were really cool for about eight minutes, and unfortunately that was the eight minutes that this movie was made. Stomping around in the forest with elf boots. Fuck you. Now, I'm probably going to stir up some controversy here, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say Gordon the dog. I think Gordon survived. Because they show him jumping out of a window or possibly being thrown out of a window, but you don't know and you never see him again. Most people think that the movie followed the, the, my famous, you know, the dad principle of horror movies, in which, which stands for the dog always dies, D-A-D. Uh, I'm going to say that he didn't die. Just because, clearly, you know, he was running through. Like, you see his legs moving through. That dog was jumping through the window. So I think that this dog was smart. This dog was like the psychic investigator, you know, the psychic dude in the original Paranormal Activity. You know, at the end when they bring him back, that Tim Gunn-looking guy, and he walked in the house, and he looked around for like two seconds, and he was like, mm-mm, oh, no, oh, hell no, I got to go. Mm-mm, no. That, that dog did the same thing. He was in the house, was like, fuck this, I'm out of here. You know, I love y'all and everything, but the cable hasn't been that good. See you later, bye. So in my mind, Gordon lives. This is also the first movie where it occurred to me that in all these stories were not all taking place on Friday the 13th. But really, the date Friday the 13th only refers to the first one for the most part. The others could be happening any day, but because it started on Friday the 13th, you know, because at this point, if, if, even if it start, if part two started on Friday the 13th, by this point, it's like Tuesday, the 17th or the 18th or whatever number it is. And then really, the date didn't matter. It took a long time for my 13-year-old brain to wrap my head around that. And when I was watching it this time, this is me growing up. This is me becoming an old person. This is me becoming a responsible adult because I thought, in this film, not once but twice, you got the twin girls who are killed, and you also got Rob the Jason Hunter who was killed. And Rob was Sandra's sister from part, uh, brother rather, he was Sandra's brother from part two. And I thought, wow, their parents lost both their children. That's really sad. How terrible. And in such a horrible way. I'm like, it's a horror movie. I'm like, I know, but they're poor parents. Yep, I'll be watching Matlock soon. So, now, I want to talk about Kimberly Beck, our survivor girl. She has a fine job. She's fine. She's a good screamer. She fights back. I like her moment, similar to Dana, Dana Kimmel's moment, where you see Sanity lose her. The part where the mask, she knocks the mask off with her machete, and she sees Jason's face, and all fight goes right out of her, and she goes to crazy town. That's a great point. I love the family dynamic that's going on between her and Corey Feldman and the mom, who we don't know what happened to, but according to Fangoria, I remember they said she drowned in a bathtub. I don't know how that happened, but whatever. Not the point. My problem with Kimberly Beck is the quote that I read from Kimberly Beck on IMDb. Anyway, in this quote that they listed on IMDb, which is probably from Crystal Lake Memories or something, which I haven't read, but she basically said, I've never seen any of the Friday the 13th films, and I never want to see them. I haven't even seen mine, because this wasn't even just a B movie. It was like a C movie. Oh, really? Was it? Was it Miss A-list? Little beneath you, was it? Let's take a look at your career, shall you? Shall we? Because granted, Kimberly Beck has worked a lot. She has worked a lot, a lot. 
A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. As a matter of fact, she's been working since 1958. 1958, which means that if she was a final girl in, you know, 1984, she was really fucking old to be playing a goddamn teenager. And I don't care if you were on the Brady Bunch twice. I don't care that you were in Massacre on Central Hot because nobody remembers that movie. You can't even get it on DVD or nothing. I don't care if you were in Roller Boogie because I just tried to watch that on, 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 on AMC and it was awful. Not even camp funny, just fucking awful. So fuck you, Kimberly Beck. Sure, you've done tons and tons of television. Friday the 13th was the biggest goddamn hit you were ever in. The only time you played the lead in anything, and it was the only thing that made any money whatsoever. Oh, you know what? Wait a second. I'm sorry. She was on... I'm sorry. She was on 8 is Enough. I take it back. She played Nancy Bradford on 8 is Enough. She was one of the regulars. She was one of the Bradford kids. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not right. She was only in the pilot of 8 is Enough, which means they didn't ask her back to do the actual series. You weren't good enough, Kimberly Beck. Maybe you were too much of a C-list actor. Bitch. You know what? You know what? You were pretty and everything, but you had elf boots, and, and, and when you smiled, you had too much gums. You had lots of gums going on, Kimberly Beck, and that is not cool. And plus, I saw you on Regis Philbin promoting this film. Yeah, I did. I remember it. It was not, yeah, she actually, I do remember watching Regis Philbin back in 1984, the Regis show, and there she was promoting Friday the 13th, and she was so retarded, because apparently her and Regis Philbin had been on Fantasy Island together. And he was talking about, oh, well, last time I saw you, you were a little girl in pigtails, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I don't know. Looking at the IMDb, that, uh, that Fantasy Island was on in 1978, which would have made her only 35. Maybe 46. I don't know. Yeah, but I could see you skipping around at 46 in pigtails, acting like you're a nine-year-old bitch. I see how you are now. But no, it was so stupid. The segment was so stupid because she came on... And she's talking about the movie, and then she was going to do a cooking segment where they made Massacre Macaroni, which evidently she made on the set every day. Bullshit. Bullshit. And the only thing that made Massacre Macaroni interesting at all was that she cut the tomatoes with a machete. And she was very proud of that. You know what, Kimberly Beck? You can take your Massacre Macaroni and stick it up your ass. I hope it's elbow macaroni. (laughs) So you can stick your elbows up your ass. (laughs) <laughs> I've been talking about this movie for a really long time and even I'm freaking out I'm on, I know I'm all over the place you're probably like oh my god what is he on and I say I'm high on life and uh, nasal spray but that's at the point right now so um, ooh, Friday the 13th the final chapter it's not so get ready for another one the next time the calendar says it's time for another one. Oh my god I wore myself out Ugh. Okay, to help save this show, we have some original music by listener Dean Farnell and his song, very appropriately, Friday the 13th.
Hey, Patrick. It's Joe and Cynthia. Joe from Cynthia. Um, hey. For several reasons today. First yes. of all, just listening to your Carrie podcast. Yes, just for uh, you. I finished your portion and wanted to say that I've been read and that mm-hmm. I will again watch Carrie and appreciate it more mm-hmm. as, a, as a gay gay horror fan or whatever. Um, and I do remember as I watched it, it had some great one-liners. That's what I really liked about it. I watched the first of it. Now I have a much better appreciation from your review, so I will watch it again. You're welcome. Next thing, I decided to watch uh, Ticked Off Trains with Knives after uh-huh. you mentioning that Willem uh, from RuPaul's Drag Race RuPaul's Drag Race, I don't know if I came out right. But RuPaul's Drag Race, after he was on there, because um, he was one of my favorite people on the show, unfortunately he got um, ceremoniously kicked off early. for he left in shame. Uh, against the rules, he broke the rules. But um, I, 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 pretty, I really did enjoy the movie. Um, I did kind of like the campy uh, aspect to it. You know, it, you know there were parts that were funny. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, and other parts were, you know, you know there were scary parts to fight that. So in that part, you know, that was good. Um, I didn't quite really appreciate or understand why they decided to do the uh, grindhouse effect to it, because okay. I don't. I mean, I, th- I thought the movie probably would have been okay without doing it, and I felt they kind of just threw in the the grindhouse effect in order to just like maybe excuse to like. Uh, you know, they screwed up, they fucked up filming some scenes, so they're like, oh, let's do right now, so we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, Or, possibly. you know, to hide the, the poor quality in the movie. So uh-huh. I wasn't quite sure exactly why they did the grindhouse effect. Um, also, I felt, you know, Willem in the movie kind of pretty much acted like he did on RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh-huh. I didn't really kind of see that much of a stretch of acting for him. I mean, though I liked his character... Not exactly, no. You know, on the show and on the movie, they were about the same. It's like, eh. You know, I wasn't quite sure about the whole actor thing or whatever. Okay. But, um, okay. We'll you know, generally, it. you know, it was, it was... I did enjoy the movie. Um, and I would recommend it to other people if they haven't seen it. Okay. Basically. And uh, that's all I have for today. But um, thank you, Patrick. And enjoying the shows. Keep it up. Thank you, Joe. Bye. Well, Joe, I am glad that all the hard work and dedication I put into the Carrie episode paid off because you were a motivating force behind it because you didn't get it. And, I, again, I'm not holding anything against you because, you know, sometimes... You, never mind. I've already explained this. Anyway, glad you liked it. Glad you see Carrie in a new light. Uh, ticked off trannies with knives. Um, the grindhouse effect, I don't know. It was really popular at the time. Everybody was making their... Films like a grindhouse film. And maybe they were trying to... The, the title sounded like a 70s grindhouse exploitation film. Maybe they were trying to capture some of that. I have to say the grindhouse effect is overdone. I'm kind of tired of it. I'm over it. It just makes things look dirty. And like you said, it probably just hides a lot of flaws and makes the film look um, less cheap than it is by making it look cheap. Whoa. Cosmic. And Willem. Yes. Um, one of the hardest things to do in front of a camera or acting in general is to just be yourself. And uh, no, it wasn't a big acting stretch for him, but just that you're able to convey who you are off camera is the same person that you are on camera is is not that easy. 
granted, I think Williams, oh, Willem, I think Willem's always on anyway in his mind because we never really got behind his exterior to see who he was. So maybe it wasn't the greatest acting, but it was sure damn entertaining. Joe, thank you for calling in. I will talk to you soon. Hey, Patrick, this is Trey. Hey, Trey. Come check in. And honestly, I haven't really watched any horror movies recently. There's not really much out there that I'm finding. Everything that's good I've already seen. But oh. I did see one thing over the weekend that's horror-related. I want to call in about it. Um, it's the documentary, Corman's World, about Roger Corman. Oh, it was okay. actually a really good documentary. I mean, I grew up in the 80s with the video boom, and I knew about New World Pictures, his studio. So I, I knew who Roger Corman was. And, uh-huh. you know, the documentary isn't looking... It's a, it's a puff piece for Roger Corman. It's not looking to really slam or get too involved with him, but it definitely is a showpiece for him. And I knew a lot about okay. him, but I was surprised at just how much of him I learned during the documentary. Um, but two things that, that I wanted to, to comment on. Um, one of the things was he was talking about when Star Wars came out, how that ruined the B-movie industry for actually B-movie producers who did independent, low-budget movies. Okay. Because before then... The big studios weren't interested in doing B-movies on a budget, on a large budget at all. I mean, it was, if you wanted to do a movie about zombies or space aliens, you had to do it on the cheap. Like, the big studios wouldn't touch it at all. But then when Jaws sure, sure, sure. and Star Wars came out, all they cranked out afterwards. And now if you look at, uh, I mean, the top grossing movies of all times are all B-movies with A-movie budgets. And that never really hit me, but, you know, Roger Corman was like, once that happened, huh. his career, it wasn't gone, but it changed completely. It was a sea okay. change. I thought that was kind of interesting. That's um, interesting. But there was one moment in the whole documentary that was actually so cool and so sweet was they interviewed everyone he's, he's worked with, or a lot of them, and I was surprised at how many people got their start with Roger Corman. They had mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese, Jack Nicholson, Peter Fonda, I mean, James Cameron. Just the, the amount of people who started with him was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And actually, they the most, I guess the biggest celebrity interviews they had in the documentary were Martin Scorsese and Jack Nicholson. I didn't realize that Jack Nicholson spent a good decade working with Roger Corman before he even really hit it big. Oh, yeah. And He's in some whole, terrible movies. And interviews, Jack Nicholson is being Jack Nicholson. I mean, the man loves, he is what he seems. He's a lot of fun, really, not trying too hard, but just a smart ass. But then at the end of the documentary, everyone's giving a little final comments on oh, Roger Corman, and Jack says something along the lines of, I hope Roger knows how respected and loved he is in the industry, and then Jack Nicholson starts to get choked up, huh? and he covers his eyes and his face with his hands, and he kind of says, I'm sorry, I'm getting some mill here. And then he starts to cry and talk through his tears about Roger Corman, and it was the most genuine, sweet thing, and the last thing I ever would have expected. I mean, it's the whole documentary, Jack Nicholson's being the total smart-ass and laughing and telling great stories, but then when talking about what Roger means to him, he starts to cry, and it was just, it was the most touching moment. It was actually really, really sweet. And the whole document huh. is great, but just that one moment alone, just seeing that kind of part of Jack Nicholson that I never imagined or thought of before and related to Roger Corman, it was good. So yeah, Corman's World. Um, it's a great documentary, a lot of fun, just a lot of information about Roger Corman. Um, to get a little bit into how, you know, the type of person he is and why, what he, why he does what he does, and I think it's one of Howard at one point even kind of laments the fact that Roger Corman never wanted to have a big budget and do a really big movie because they there's actually a really good director in there that if he actually allowed himself to have a big budget and a month long to shoot, he may have done a really good movie in but it wasn't meant to be. Electric Corman himself doesn't like that kind of mentality. So right. it's an interesting documentary, especially if you grew up in those kind of movies. Anyway, that's it for me. Um, hopefully some good stuff will come out in DVD because 
as far as horrors out there, it's, it's a dry spell. Well, I hope you're doing well. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Okay, Trey, thank you very much uh, for the recommendation. I have added that to my Netflix queue. My Netflix queue. Sorry, my tongue's not working yet today. It must be wore out. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to watch it, and it sounds really good. Thanks for spoiling it. Thanks for taking the best moment in the whole thing and spoiling it for everybody. You're a jerk. You're a jerk, and I hate you. You're a jerk, and I hate you, and you smell. I love you. Totally. Anyway, um... You should come over to my house because there is no such thing as a dry spell in horror over here because I've been watching stuff and almost everything I've seen has been pretty damn good. So hopefully I've given you a recommendation for something to watch today that you haven't already seen. And if not, contact me personally because there's tons of stuff that I don't talk about on the show that it's just no time to get to. But that I think you might like because you're a weirdo. My sister weirdo. And thanks again for calling. Patrick. It's Tom nice. DJ calling you straight up Brooklyn from <gasps> Better in the Dark Ooh. Laboratories. I finally <sighs> get around to leaving a message for a really great podcaster like yourself. Um, I just finished listening to uh, episode 53, which is your all-carry um, extravaganza, yes. which fascinated me. Yeah, I know. I know you put out two other videos. Shut up! I've been busy. What? Anyway, um, <gasps> I... Uh, I, I was very fascinated to listen to this conversation because I, even though I am a heterosexual man, yes. I, I have an inordinate uh, obsession slash fascination with Broadway musicals that never were or crashed and burned in a terrible, terrible okay. mess. Oh. And uh, we've actually been, my friend Des Reddick of uh, Great Media and I have been trying to yes. get a really good copy of the Carrie uh, soundtrack, you know, the Carrie book. And Original such, so we can discuss cast recording. the musical in depth as it's part of my macabre musical so theater segment on his show. Um, it, it, I've always heard such horrid things about this original production, the Sadie's production. And in fact, I had this one very vivid memory of going to a Fangoria sponsored. This was back when I was working for Fangoria. Uh-huh. Fangoria sponsored a private screening of, of all things, Bordello of Blood. And Ooh. being cornered at the after Ooh. party by some bizarre suck who was trying to convince me of how Carrie the Musical was actually a unjustly forgotten classic of the musical theater. Huh. Not a pleasant experience, my friend. Well, Not a pleasant experience at all. Absolutely. Well, you know, theater I, queens can be evil. I just, I just find this sort of thing absolutely, totally fascinating. I really do. And I really appreciated hearing... Your and your your guests' input on this curiosity of the American musical theater. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I Thank just you. thought you'd like to know that. I do. I am now done, so I will now let you get back to doing your scream queenie best. Well, thank you very much. Love to Brad. Have mm-hmm. a great day. Yeah. Thanks. Well, Mr. Tom, Mr. Tom DJ, if you're going to insist on calling my podcast and be a heterosexual male. Stop speaking in that low, seductive voice because it's driving me crazy. Child. Okay, now, now, Tom is from the, as you said, Better in the Dark podcast. Head over there and check it out. It's a great show. But listen to me. Don't think I didn't notice that little shut-up that you snuck, snuck in there. I know what you're doing there. I know what you're doing there. You're imitating me. Uh-huh. 
Who do you think you are? Spencer Smith? Spencer Smith from Washington State? Because that's the kind of crap he pulls. We already have one of him, and that's quite enough. One Spencer Smith goes a long way. So you have an obsession with flop musicals. Oh, child, if you're in Brooklyn, we've got to hang out because we've got to talk. Um, Mr. Brad and I went to see a show on Saturday, as I said, uh, One Man, Two Governors, which is you know not a musical, but amazing, but not the point right now. The thing is they had a story in there about a flop uh, musical version of Gone with the Wind that played in London. It was supposed to come to America, but surprisingly it didn't. And one of the things they said was that it was four hours long. Four hours long. So the thing is, two, on top of it being four hours long, the tubes in London close at a certain time. The subways stop running. So it was running past the time when the tubes would stop taking people home. So a lot of people would be left with the choice. Do I stay and watch the rest of this piece of shit musical or do I actually go home and sleep in my bed and have a cocktail and forget about it? So they said by the time it was getting down to, you know, oh, you know, you know Rhett coming back and, and taking him to the stairs, there'd be like three people in the house. But the other thing was that um, child children cannot work, children in the UK cannot work past 10.30 p.m. So you have Scarlett O'Hara's daughter who dies in that, you know, horse accident you know pa just like pa just like pa and apparently they had a real horse so for this one performance that ran really 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 long the kid had to go home so they sent out an empty horse and everyone was acting like the child had just fallen off the horse but nobody was looking in the same place so it appeared that the child had fallen off the horse and shattered into several pieces and it didn't come to America. Go figure. Anyway, um, it's an original cast recording. It is not a soundtrack. Gay people will hunt you down and kill you if you make that mistake again. Movies have soundtracks. Broadway shows have original cast recordings. Learn it. Do not make this mistake again. Because I have your phone number. I will reverse phone hunt you down. And, and I can't even say what I'm going to do to you, so I can't, I can't even get it out of my mouth, so I guess I'm not going to do it. So never mind. Empty threat. Thank you for calling, Tom. Bye. All right. You know what? When it has come down to me physically threatening and or sexually harassing my listeners, it is probably may or it may, 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 it may or may not be time for me to wrap this puppy up for another week. Uh, I want to thank everybody who called in. Thank you, guys. That was great. And I also want to give a huge thank you to Dean Farnell for supplying the music for that Friday the 13th song, which made this segment just perfect. Literally, I, I hate to use the word literally these days because the word's been ruined for all time. But I had just finished editing the Friday the 13th segment, and I was sitting here going, what music should I play? I couldn't think of a damn thing. And boom, there was Dean in my inbox like, hey, I have this song. I had not been talking about this. It was just synchronicity. And it was very cool. So if you want to be like all these cool people who help make the show as awesome as it is, uh, you can give me a call at 347-767-3509. Or you can write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And that is queens with a Z. You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at screamqueens. That's with a Z. Or you could buy the very... Last first edition Scream Queens t-shirt. That's right. The entire original set is gone. And I don't think this shirt's going to be printed up again. Because apparently all you people wanted it in black, not in white. So racist. 
So very, very racist. So if you want the last first edition Scream Queens t-shirt, head on over to the website. Click on the banner. It's just going to cost you $20. And the one that we have left is a large. Just a 1L large. So if you are a large queen, this is the shirt for you. And all proceeds from the shirt do help support the show. And uh, if you don't want a t-shirt, you can just head on over there and click on the donate button and help support the show that way. Every little bit goes a long way to help me getting this show to you every two weeks. It's like the circle of life and the wheel of fortune. I'll stop doing that now. Before I go, though, I did want to say one thing because I promised Kristen, our listener Kristen, to take care of this because she had posted on Easter Sunday, she had posted Yvonne Elliman singing, I believe it was I Don't Know How to Love Him from Jesus Christ Superstar. A perfectly appropriate thing to be posting on that day. And there's nothing funny about it. And I just said, you gotta love Yvonne Elliman. I do love her. If I can't have you, I don't want nobody, baby. One of my favorite songs. I just love how shamelessly that woman scoops when she sings. Yvonne Elliman is in love with her scoops. I don't know how to love him. What do how to move him? Try not to get worried. Try not to turn on problems that upset you. Just like, wham, wham, wham. But she's awesome when she does it. And I said, Kristen, I would do my Vaughn Element impression. And now I've done that. And we can all move on with our lives and maybe seek help so that this will never, ever happen again, lest we forget. So next time, next time, I will, in fact, be presenting the original story by our, by our own beloved Kelly Combrink from the Night of the Living Podcast podcast. I'll be reading it aloud. Kelly will be providing original music, and you will crap your pants when you hear the horrors of Mrs. Lumley's masks. And you can feel free to call in and leave messages. I don't know if I'll be able to respond because, as I said, I'm having surgery next week, probably. And I don't know how talkative I'm going to be, and I don't know what uh, my recovery is going to be like because I really have been given no information. I'm just like, yeah, go in and cut me. I don't care. I don't care. Bring it on. So... Until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, Boy, I was happy to see that you volunteered to be in our church passion play. But I just had to say, child, you put the Mary in Mary Magdalene. Bye! Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. Bitches! written about my mother and father, I've changed the names to protect them. (laughs) We need a door slam. It's more than sufficient. (laughs) It's after supper. Ludd and Marie are sitting in the living room. Marie is cutting recipes from a magazine and pasting them to three by five cards. Lud is reading the newspaper and eating a piece of cake. The front door opens. 
Is that you? No, it's Dracula's daughter. <laughs> How's the cake, Lud? Oh, like always, I guess. Couldn't be like always. I never got this kind of cake before. Hmm. I thought something was different. I was going to get that banana kind, but you always pick the icing off. So I got this plain kind of cake because it didn't have any icing. No icing, huh? I thought something was missing. How come you never get that chocolate kind of cake anymore? Because the last time I got it, Lud, you broke out into a rash. I did. I don't remember that. When did I get that rash? Tuesday. And when did I eat that cake? Monday. Must have been the cake then. Well, that's what I thought. That's why I got this plain kind of cake, because it's not so rich. Yeah, not so rich, not so good either. Well, I thought this plain kind of cake wouldn't be as fattening. Not as fattening, because it's not as good as a rich kind. So you don't eat as much. Well, maybe that's why you broke out into a rash, Lud. You eat too much of that other kind of cake because you like it too much. Please stop talking about this cake! bedroom plays them records till two or three o'clock in the morning. Criticize somebody. Fool with me, young lady. I take my belt off to you. Oh, now, let don't start. That insurance man will be here any minute. Oh, I'll take my belt off to you, too, toots. Now, quit. <laughs> Put your shoes on. That insurance man will be here. We don't need nobody around here after supper. Too late. Where are you going, Lud? I'm going in the kitchen to get me some more of that good old cake. I thought you didn't like this cake. I thought you liked that other kind of cake. That cake with the icing. You got that little bumpy place up under your chin. You must have got my rash. Oh, I couldn't have. I didn't even eat any of that cake. I can't even say the word hush in my own house. That just takes the hush. I am going in the kitchen to put on some coffee in case that insurance man wants some coffee and some cake. <laughs> the doorbell rings. Uh, I am Mr. Monroe. Come on in. Mrs. Tomlin's gone there in the kitchen. Put on some coffee. In case you want some coffee. 
And some cake. I think I would enjoy a cup of coffee and a piece of cake. Did you hear that? what? What I heard was nothing. Was absolutely nothing. What's me and you go in the kitchen and get us a cup of coffee and a piece of 